Well, good morning, Victory Life Church. Great to see you today. Welcome to Victory Life Church. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, uh, you can communicate with us right now. If you're physically here in person, you can take one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you. And if you could take a minute and fill that out. And afterwards, meet us at the Welcome Center. We have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. For those of you joining us online, you can check us out at our website at vlchurch.com. And there's a banner on our front page that says, are you new here? Click on that banner and fill out that form. That'll come straight to me, and I will uh, connect with you sometime this week. You might notice behind me that there's an extra person on stage, and it's Michael Skifstad right here. Wait, raise your hand for everyone, Michael. This is the other brother of the Skifstad family. Give him an ovation for being here with us today. I should have said give him a welcome. It probably made him feel really awkward to give him an ovation. But nonetheless, we are so glad that he is here. What a great family. I believe that he is the oldest brother of all the brothers. Is that right? And the smartest. Okay, he said that on his own. And the best looking, too. Yeah, right. (laughs) Definitely. So it's great to have you the smartest, oldest, and best-looking brother of the Skifstad brethren. So welcome, welcome. I'm in trouble. But anyways, welcome to Victory Life Church. We like to have fun. And I do have a few things I want to share with you about some fun that we're having over the next weeks and days to come. In about five weeks, we're going to be having our annual church picnic and Vision Sunday, which is a whole lot of fun. It's going to be August 27th. We're telling you right now so that you can save the date. So go into your smartphones and uh, put it in there. It's going to happen after uh, second service on Sunday, August 27th. And uh, we're just going to share a little bit about what God is, what we think God is wanting to do with our church over the next year. That's why we call it Vision Sunday. We kind of look into the future and imagine what God has for us. And then we also reflect upon how God has blessed us in the past This is almost a 40-year-old church, and it's still a great, strong church, and we celebrate it at our annual church picnic. During our picnic, there will be, indeed, great food, great fun, great fellowship, and a great big beatdown as my kickball team delivers another merciless defeat to Pastor Matt and his kickball team. So we hope that you'll join us for that fun time together uh, we do have a whole lot of fun, and so we, we hope that you'll join us. Bring a friend. It's going to be a great time. Again, it's going to be on Sunday, August 27th, after second service. Another fun thing that we're doing next Sunday, this is for the youth of Victory Life Church. Uh, it's going to be a youth event entitled Water Wars. So you know, youth group happens at 6 p.m. on Sunday nights, and then right afterwards, uh, there's going to be a water war. So I think it's going to be water balloons and water guns and all kinds of uh, water fun. And Pastor Peter tells me to tell you, to tell our teens that we are encouraging our teens to invite friends who may not know the Lord um, or who may not have a youth group. So tell your kiddos, tell your youth to invite a friend or two because the main goal of this water night, water war night uh, next Sunday is so that kids can come to our youth group and feel welcome here and feel like they can be a part of our, part of our uh, youth group. And so that's going to happen next Sunday night 
At 6 p.m. is when uh, youth worship starts, and then after they're going to have the water war event. So we ask that you would uh, encourage your kiddos to invite their friends. We also ask that you would pray that the Lord would bless this night as a ministry tool of outreach to shine the light of Jesus. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements. If you come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, I know you know how to do it. You can text to give, you can give online, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord uh, with your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand this morning? And as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer as we enter into a time of worship together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's great to be in a place that seeks you. We pause now to ask that you would do something miraculous and supernatural. It's something only you can do. And we ask that you would pierce through the surface of our hearts, our souls, and our minds this morning. We pray for an encounter for everyone here that will be unforgettable and life-changing. We ask and pray this as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship. defender because out of love he sent his son to become the lamb that was slain that we would live forever because of Jesus Christ let's lift him up he's coming on the clouds kings and kingdoms will bow down and every chain will break as his broken hearts declare his praise for who can stop the Lord So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. The God who's come to save is here to set the captives free. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring. Yeah. 
one, no one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Sing it 
and we see the goodness of the Lord in this land that we're living in. The psalmist in Psalm 34 talks about this land that we're living in, this beautiful world that our Lord created. And the psalmist concludes it at 34, asking the question, who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? And we today, we can declare who this king of glory is. Jesus, the lamb of God. God, God, we declare it today. You are the king of glory. You are the Lord of this world. You are our Lord and Savior. And so we can see this goodness all around us, and we will declare this goodness. We will declare to one another, as we are doing right here, back and forth this morning, singing gospel to one another, we are declaring who this king of glory is, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Let's sing it together this morning. Who is this King of glory? Beautiful and matchless one. Who is this king so holy? Every knee will bow at his throne. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, Savior and King, you alone are worthy of our praise forever. You alone are seated on the throne of heaven, glorify, glorify you alone. Who is this King of mercy, wonderful and full of grace? Is this king so worthy that nations fear and kingdoms praise? He's Jesus, the Lamb of God, Savior and King. Oh, you alone are worthy of our praise.
Well, welcome once more to Victory Life Church this morning. We're so glad that you are here worshiping with us. I'm Pastor Matt, and it is my great privilege to be able to share from the Word of God with you this morning. If you are a young disciple, this is your opportunity to go ahead on down the hall and get a message on your level. We're excited for you to be able to do that. If you are new here to Victory Life Church and you've got a kiddo with you, you can send them down the hall at this time with this gaggle of children who's heading out the door. And our Children's Church program is starting right now. We're excited about that. Well, it's good to be back with you from vacation, deeply indebted to our last two speakers. Uh, we're really glad to have had Daniel Bond and Will Hodge share from 
Romans chapter 4 with us. We're going to be this morning in Romans chapter 5. That's the connective tissue for us all summer long, is that we are in uh, the book of Romans, looking at the good, good news of what Jesus has done and what he has poured into our life and what he is attempting to pour into the lives of those who do not yet know him. And our goal in this series is to make sure that we are so versed, so overwhelmed, so enamored with the gospel of Jesus that when we go from this place, we're able to convey it to others. And I think we really can if we can become immersed in in the gospel. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about the blessings and the benefits of being justified from the book of Romans chapter 5 today. Uh, You did meet, if you did not know, my third brother here this morning. He's actually the first Skifstad brother. And so there are three of us. He is the pastor of Free Church up in Rochester, New York. But as kids, we were not pastoral material. Uh, Some of you who were part of this church when we were kids know that the idea that two of us are pastors and one of us is a worship director is a little bit shocking because we did things that normal boys do, which is to get in trouble, get the police called on us, and light things on fire. And so we did those things, but we survived, and the Lord is faithful uh, to bring about his good work in us. When we were kids, there was a pair of people who would come over for dinner that would bring great excitement. My parents would say, hey, Tom and Jan are coming down from Minnesota. They're going to be here for dinner on Thursday night. And whatever age we were, that was awesome. We were really excited about seeing Tom and Jan. We loved Tom and Jan. You say, well, what was so special about Tom and Jan? Did they bring you gifts? No, they didn't bring us gifts. What was so special about them? Did they take you so you could have great experiences? No, we never went anywhere with them. Uh, Did they light things on fire with you? No, they did not light things on fire with us. In fact, when Tom and Jan came to our house, the highlight of, of that night was sitting at dinner and talking with them. Like these three boys, rambunctious, energy-filled boys would want to sit there and talk to them all night long. Usually when my parents' friends came over for dinner, we wanted to leave as quickly as possible. But not when these people came. We wanted to sit and talk to them. The highlight of the evening really was when we adjourned from the dining room to the living room and talked some more. They were fabulous people. They were incredible people, full of the Holy Spirit, but full of joy. Full of just all those things that just make you want to be around them. This translated into my marriage when Gina and I got married. I remember at one point they were coming into town from the Twin Cities. And Gina and I looked at each other and said, do you think they'd come for dinner at our house? Like, would they bless us with their presence? And they did. They came, they sat on our back patio, we talked for hours. And it even has translated to my children. We were up in the Twin Cities a few years ago. They said, do you want us to take you to the pizza barn? There's nothing about the idea of pizza barn that sounds appetizing, right? Pizza and barn just don't belong together. Tell Minnesotans this. But anyhow, we went to the pizza barn, and they just engaged my kids, and my kids fell in love with these people. We didn't need gifts. We didn't need toys. We didn't need experiences. We just needed their presence. And that was worth it. That was enough. Really odd, but not unprecedented. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your presence would be with us today. It's always pleased you to use human beings, fallen, sinful men and women, who have put their faith in you to do your work. So I pray you'd work in this place today, that you would speak to your people today, and that we would know you better because of the time we spent together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul in Romans chapter 5 is going to lay out four massive benefits of having been justified. 
How are we justified? Can anybody tell me? How are we justified? That was pitiful. Really? We, we, spent, we spent two weeks in Romans chapter 4, and you can't tell me how we're justified. We are justified by faith. Justified by faith. That's right. God has done something so massive in the lives of his people that no works of the law, whether good or refraining from the bad, can make us saved. Jesus has done something so powerful that we can stand before God justified and look forward to all the blessings and benefits of being justified people. And Paul's going to lay out for us today four great and massive benefits, four reasons to rejoice in our salvation. And so what we want to do today is we want to go ahead and look at these things and, and get joyful. I don't, I don't mean happy. I don't mean stupid happy. Like, <laughs> my car just blew up. <laughs> I don't care. I'm Not stupid happy. Joyful. Being people who are excited about what God is doing and has done in us. And as we read the words of Paul this morning, I hope that you will pick up on this theme of joy and rejoicing. And what Jesus has done, because he's going to go back next week, we're going to talk about Adam, he's going to go back to explaining holy history, and how this all works, and why this gospel works, and why this salvation was needed. But for just a moment, he takes a, a little time to sing his song, to pray his prayer, to thank God for all the blessings and benefits of being saved. And we should do that as well. Let's look at verse five through, verse, chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 today. Paul says this, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely uh, die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Paul is writing his love song to God. We could probably get nine worship choruses just out of these 11 verses. Paul is so excited about what has happened to us through Christ. The blessings and benefits of salvation, justification, being made right with God. He's rejoicing here because of all that he's laid out. Because if you kind of think about what he laid out in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we saw this massive estrangement from God that needed to be dealt with. And now in verse 4, we find that Christ has done something so powerful on our behalf that he's bringing us back into right relationship by his own power and by his own will and by his own volition. I loved where Will Hodge landed last week, this idea that this covenant that God makes with us always has been all about his love for us. 
He walked through that sacrifice. He went through with Abraham twice to make Abraham know everything you have, everything you are, everything that you exist for, I have given you by my grace and by my favor. I have poured in my blessing to you. I have given everything to you by faith. That's who I am. So Paul's going to begin to expound upon these things. And the first thing that I want to point out this morning that Paul says we should rejoice about is the joy of gracious peace. Now, I take that from verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, where Paul says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through him we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. So those are two of the biggest words of Christianity, peace and joy. But this peace that Paul's talking about is not just the cessation of hostilities, right? Sometimes we say people are at peace because they've stopped fighting, but that's not what we're talking about here. Paul uses the word reconciled, reconciled, reconciled over and over again. This isn't the peace of of cessation of hostilities. I've seen that. I mean, I watched Joey and Dave punch each other at Oak Park for quite some time as a youth, and they punched each other and punched each other and punched each other, and eventually Joey and Dave were punched out, and they stopped fighting and they walked home, bloody, beaten, and sweaty. Now, they weren't friends after that. Nothing had had come of that. Nothing good had come of that. They just punched each other for a while. That's the piece of a cessation of hostilities. But that's not what we have. We have a piece in which we've been reconciled to God. If you were to look from verses 8 through verse 11, you would see that word reconciled three different times. The fact that we now stand in position with God to receive his grace, his goodness, his favor, We've been brought back into the fold of who God is and what he wants for us. And it's good stuff. It's great stuff. It's blessed stuff. Even though we were once enemies of God. And Paul doesn't want us to forget it. To be at peace with God is to infer that at one time we were not at peace with God. In fact, Paul says in this passage, we were enemies with God. And we were enemies with God of our own volition. God hasn't been sitting there shooting arrows at us since the dawn of time. No, we've been sitting there since the dawn of time shooting arrows at him. We've been saying to our creator, the one who gave us breath, don't touch me, hands off, I'll do things my own way. And when we do that, we discovered in chapter 1 that we fall into these places of sin by which we hurt ourselves and others. And each and every time we sin, each and every time we sin against God, every time we sin against one another, in essence, we are shooting another arrow to the one who is holy, shooting another arrow at the one that is righteous and saying, I'm doing it my own way, I'm doing it my own way, I'm doing it my own way. Where did that all begin? Well, we learned about this five weeks ago where that all began. We did not honor God as God. We didn't thank him for the world in which he gave us. We looked at God and said, it's not enough. Take your hands off. I'll do it myself. No better place is this displayed than in Romans 1.21, where the Bible says, for although they knew God, they neither honored him as God or gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, Paul goes on to say that because of this, the wrath of God is being revealed. And he brings that wrath back up in this particular passage, doesn't he? We've been saved from the wrath of God. Now that wrath is displayed in two main facets. This this response to our enmity with God is displayed in two ways. We learned four weeks ago that the wrath of God is displayed by letting us do things our own way. That the wrath of God in verse 118, it has already been revealed We've been able to say, take your hands off, I'll do it my way, don't form or fashion me, I will form and fashion myself. 
and our foolish hearts are darkened, and our thinking becomes futile, and we end up in places that we never ought to have been, doing things that we never ought to have done, ashamed of our sin and ashamed of our rebellion. God created us to be with us. He created us to form us. He created us to live in this place of joyful peace and grace in his mighty hand. And we've said, hands off. You don't get to form me. You don't get to make me. You don't get to mold me. That makes us enemies of God. Look at verse 6 for just a minute. He said, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, if God is God and we are the ungodly, we're opposite, aren't we? We're in opposite camps. We're, we're opposite people. We can't say, God, take your hands off and then do things our own way and say, well, I'm submitted to God. Well, you're certainly not. Because God created you as his craftsmanship, his workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works for, in advance that he prepared for you to do. He doesn't want to be at enmity with you. That's something that we've chosen. And that's what Paul has been insinuating to us over and over and over again through the book of Romans. We've done things our own way. We've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've said to God, I will fashion myself. But that doesn't lead to any place good. I bought some clay this week. And this is the clay. And this is part of the clay. And this is part of the clay. But I didn't fashion this clay. What I did was, is I put it out on my dining room table and let it fashion itself. I figured that, that if, if, if the created being or the created object had the capacity to, to, to fashion itself, that it would. And so I, let, I flattened it out, I left it on the table, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. Now I told my kids, don't touch the clay. Do you see all these fingerprints? Right? And when I flattened out the clay, it wasn't one piece to which someone, God bless them, confessed, Dad, I broke your clay. <laughs> but clay can't fashion itself. It becomes dried up, used up, unmoldable and unmakeable. Not good for anything. Any of you who are artistically inclined, would you like my clay to try to make something out of it? You know that you can't. It's already been used up, it's already been dried up, it's cracked and it's broken. There's nothing to be done with this. This is the wrath of God. We've been left to our own devices. Human beings have put their imprint on it, broken it, molded it a little bit, but it doesn't resemble anything that it was meant to resemble. See, God takes his hand off, that's his wrath, and says both for this life and eternity, I shall not interpose myself in your world unless you were to allow me to do so by way of my son. Because my son can take that dried up, broken wrath of God human and make him or her new. My son has the power through his blood shed on the cross to take this life that is dried, broken, cracked, sinned against by the hands of other human beings and, and he is able to make it into a fresh lump of born again clay and say, I can fashion you again. Stand in my grace and stand in my favor. I can make you what you ought to be. I remember an old chorus that we used to sing in the 1990s around Victory Life, and the very end of the chorus of He is Able would say, He is able, more than able, to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. See, God created us to make us what he wanted us to be. This is where we ended up under the wrath of God. 
but through Jesus Christ, peace and grace have been made that make us new. We can be born again and live in the grace and peace that God always designed us for. That's a joy to know. We've been given a fresh start. And all the brokenness, all of the cracked, dried out, sinned against, and sinful humanity has been remade in us. It's a reason to rejoice. But Paul says that's just one blessing and benefit of knowing Christ. The second benefit is joy in the hope of glory. Paul says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, if you've been following along with Paul in the book of Romans, you know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You would know in verse 122, it says that we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for created things. We are folks who said to the glory, the presence, the power, the the intent, the holiness, the righteousness, the goodness of God, that the state in which God dwells is glory. We have said to the glory, no thanks. Don't want any part of it. And when we want to get back into that glory, when we recognize, no, I am dried up, broken, cracked, beaten up. I don't want to live in this fallen state anymore. Human beings decided, you know what, the way to get back into the presence, power, righteousness, goodness of God, what we do is we need to follow rules. And if we follow the law, we can somehow ascend to the glory of God once more. And has Paul told us that that's possible? No, he said that's impossible. We have all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Which means for eternity we are unable to stand in the presence of God. That's a problem. Not only that, but if the glory of God is not just his presence, but his power, his character, his awesomeness, his goodness, his righteousness, we are nowhere near that glory. And Paul says, in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, we have joy in the hope of participating in God's glory. We have joy in the hope that we can stand in the presence of God and participate in God, careful, like dashness. That what was broken at the fall of humanity, the idea that, the, that, 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 that we as human beings are the crown jewel of the creation, created in the image of God, created to be with God, to rule and to reign over this earth with him, what was broken at the fall will be remade. When Paul says we have joy in the hope of the glory of God, we are excited about the fact that one day we will see God face to face and one day we will be with him in God-like-ness. We're not God. We don't become God. Don't, don't, Don't walk out of here and say that I preached heresy. No, God restores what has been tarnished in us. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27 for just a moment. Let's think about where God started with us. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. God initially created us to participate with him in ruling and reigning over his stuff. Let them have dominion. Let them rule and reign with me. Let me create something for them that they can participate in with me, and we will co-rule this thing together. Do you know that the Bible talks repeatedly in the New Testament about us ruling and reigning with God? What could that possibly mean? It means that the glory that was in us, the image of God that was in us, 
His character, his goodness, his righteousness, his dominion, his prerogatives, that was tarnished at the fall, will be remade in eternity. Now I know this is great big deep theology for 10-15 on Sunday morning. I know that this is, this is sleep-inducing theology. It's tough to get our minds wrapped around something so cosmic. But to hope in the glory of God means that somehow in his light in eternity, we will reflect his character and his prerogatives. I'm going to say that again for the, the one and a half of you taking notes. In eternity, we will reflect the likeness of God in his character and in his prerogatives. Meaning that we get to participate in what God does and what God is interested in. And that remakes the likeness of us in eternity. That's the hope of glory. I have no idea what God's going to be doing with me and through me in eternity, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this remade heaven and earth that he's going to create in which we rule and reign with him forever because we are in God-likeness. And the glory of God that has been tarnished, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, has now been remade that we can now stand in the presence of God and participate with him in his character and in his prerogatives. That's why Paul says in the very next verse, after talking about the hope of the glory of God, we even hope in our sufferings, which is a famous preaching point of Paul. He loves to talk about hope and sufferings. It's one of my least favorite things to preach about. But why is he saying that? He says because ultimately... When we have sufferings or affliction, they create endurance, which then result in, what does he say? Character. Character. So as he's thinking about the hope of glory, he's thinking about the fact that even here on earth, as we hope one day to be like God, as we suffer afflictions and we go through things, it should be creating in us God-like character. It's the very next place that he goes. He thinks, you know what? We're going to look forward to a time in heaven when we're not selfish anymore, when we operate in perfect love, when we're perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly pure. Our relationships are as sweet as they've ever been. We look forward to glory. But even now, on this earth as we suffer, God is not wasting our sufferings. He's making us more like the image of God that we were created for, and we become more like him when he develops our character. So even now, the hope of glory, he says, is not disappointing us. Because he says, as we suffer things in this life and character is produced, we're more like the God who created us. Praise be to God. We're getting just a taste of what it means to live in that glorious state where we're living rightly before our God and creator. Now, I know that is some deep and heavy theology. I know that it is possibly sleep-inducing for first service, and I'm really looking forward to when you all go back tomorrow and watch this online so you can fully capture what Pastor Matt was saying in point two of his four-point sermon. But the hope of the glory of God is something that, that Paul's been weaving throughout this book of Romans to say one day, you will be able to stand in the presence of God because you've been justified. One day, you will, you will share in the nature of God's perfect character. And one day, you will participate with him in the prerogatives that he gives you. You are allowed to rule and reign with him. We have hope of the glory of God. It's exciting stuff. Much better than playing a harp on a cloud. But Paul, as he thinks about this hope of glory can't help but think now about rejoicing 
in what solidifies that hope in his heart. Look at the end of verse 5 as he describes to us exactly what has solidified this hope. He says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is rejoicing in the fact that he is deeply loved. He is rejoicing in the deep love of God that even while he suffers things in this life and even though he can't see himself today in the place where he is glorious, one day he will be, and even though he he recognizes that there is a a, a yet-to-come nature of this Christian life, he has a joy right now because the Holy Spirit has poured love into his heart He literally has the sensation, he literally has the joy of being deeply loved. The joy of being deeply loved is what keeps Paul going. He knows that the joy of being deeply loved is what confirms in his heart that God has done everything that he's promised. He says the Holy Spirit has come into his heart in such a way that the love that Christ displayed on the cross, which is being described in 3.8, right? That, that while we were still sinners, while we were still saying, God, hands off, God, stay away, I'll do it my own way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That love that we can go, wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that fabulous that Jesus died for me even when I wasn't looking for him and singing against him when I was ungodly, when I was an object of wrath? That love has been poured into my heart It's not just something up here that I say, wow, what a tremendous doctrinal point that Jesus died for me when I was a sinner. No, Paul says all of this that I'm rejoicing in is this joy of being deeply loved that has been poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit. He's saying God has done something in my sensations that make me know that I am loved. He hasn't done something in my head that makes me know that I'm deeply loved. He's given me his Holy Spirit to let me know that I am deeply loved. And he hasn't trickled the love of God into my heart. He has poured it in. Now for those of you who would say, I have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit to the point where I can say, I know that I am deeply loved of God. I know that I am saved. I know that he has done this work in me, and I know that I know that I know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. For those of you who know that, this is no great point. You're like, yeah, right. I'm deeply loved. The Holy Spirit has been poured into my sensations. I have experienced the presence of this Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus said he was going to give to me, that the Apostle Peter says was a gift for all of us who believe, and that now the Apostle Paul is saying is the proof positive that we are saved. For those of you who have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, you go, yeah, I know I'm loved. I experienced it just this week. I was listening to Daniel Bond, and he he was reminding us, two weeks ago from this pulpit, that the grace and the favor of God is not hanging by a thread based on your works. Oh, I needed to hear that. I had just been on two weeks of vacation living in hedonism. Not, not, not the place hedonism. Never would go there. I just mean enjoying the good things of life, you know? And I'm like, I did nothing for anybody but me and my kids for two weeks. I feel like such a cruddy Christian. And, and I was like, oh, oh, I can't even believe this. Two weeks of just not serving people. And, and, but, but, but 
the favor and the love of God isn't hanging by a thread. And I was sitting at my desk feeling so cruddy about myself, and all of a sudden that same Holy Spirit who loves to pour in the love of Christ went, that's for you, Matt. That's for you. I still love you. I'm still your your father, God. I'm still your father. Jesus, I'm still your savior. Holy Spirit, I'm still the one that conveys their love to you. Boom, right here. And I experienced that joy of being deeply loved for the millionth time and thought, yes, my faith is real. Yes, my God is real. I know his presence and I know his voice. Thank you, Lord. Paul says, so when I suffer... I know the Lord's been poured into my heart. When I hope for eternity with God, I know he's been poured into my heart. When I feel like I need the favor of the Lord and I'm not deserving, he has poured into my heart. I have the joy of being deeply loved. And as if that wasn't enough, Paul drops a more than that. Look at verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, haven't we rejoiced in God already? I mean, he says we, we are rejoicing in the peace and the favor of God. Peace and grace. We are rejoicing in the hope of glory, spending eternity with God, in perfection, in his presence, in, in, in perfect character, with the prerogatives of God to participate with him in ruling and reigning. M- more than that, the, the, the love of God's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's been confirmed to our senses just how much God loves us. But more than that, I just rejoice in God because of Jesus. See, I, I, I see who Jesus is. And I saw what Jesus did. And it just causes me to just have joy in God himself. More than all the benefits and blessings, I have joy in knowing this God. Just him. Just who he is. More than all those blessings and benefits, I just rejoice in God because I've seen God in Christ Jesus. I rejoice in him. I rejoice in just knowing him. That's my joy. That's my peace. That's my favor. That's love himself. I rejoice in God more than all the things. I just rejoice in him. Because he's awesome. Because he's glorious. And because he's revealed himself in Christ Jesus. See, if the initial problem with with this broken, cracked clay is that we said to the Lord, I'm not going to honor you as God, nor am I going to thank you for the good gifts. What remakes us in faith is when we say, not only will I honor you as God, my creator, my sustainer, my gift giver, but I will honor you and thank you because you have not just revealed yourself in creation, but revealed yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much more now to honor you for. So much more now to thank you for. So much more now for me to want to be in relationship with you, God, and put you in your rightful place in my heart and life. So much more. More than that, I rejoice in God. And I think this 
is the crux of the matter for us today, folks. If we're going to convey this love of Christ to the lives of other people, this work of Jesus in the gospel that is to be given away as we shine our light into the world, as if we are to convey this, we must be people who have these last two concepts on lockdown. That we know the love of God with all of our senses. And we have joy in God himself, whom we are trying to convey to other people. Let me ask you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, do you have joy in God himself? And has the love of Christ been poured into your heart to the point where you are enamored with him and what he has done? See, this will be the great question for the Christian generation who wants to see the goodness of God in the land that they are living in. Wanting to see people here in the United States of America come to know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior and watch as the goodness in the kingdom of God unfolds in and around them. If we want to see that, there needs to be a generation of people who truly know that they are deeply loved and that have joy in God himself. Joy in the relationship with God. Not just heady knowledge passed down to them by preachers and small group leaders, but but something in here that says God is the gift. Just being with him and in his presence is the gift. Is that your experience today? Is your relationship with God a source of joy in and of itself? Because he's been revealed in Christ Jesus. If not, let's get our hearts right today. Let's make sure that our hearts are for him. Before we talk about one more aspect of the gospel, let's make sure our joy is in God himself. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? And I'm just going to ask at this time that our elders and staff make their way to the four corners of the room. Folks, we're just going to have a short time of prayer this morning. But I understand today that it's very, very possible that your relationship with the Lord is skin deep this morning that you believe in the power of the gospel, you believe in all that Jesus has done for you, but it's been a long time since you felt the love of God poured out into your heart. And perhaps your relationship with the Lord has grown a bit cold. There's no joy for you just in knowing God himself. Don't leave this place feeling that way. If your love has grown cold, or if your faith has wavered, If your heart is hard toward God, or you would say, Pastor Matt, I've just never experienced that love that you've spoken of today. My relationship with God has been educational. Don't leave this place like that today. You say, "How, how do I get out of that place? Well, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to help you right now. 
to make this house a house of prayer, just like the Lord encouraged us to in his word. And ask the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God into your heart. But if you would say, Pastor Matt, I, I've, I don't know that I have the energy for that today. I don't know if I know the words to pray or what to say. But I, I, I'm in that place that you're describing, and I want somebody to pray for me. I want somebody who knows the Lord to pray for me that God would do something in my heart that needs to be done. Because I want people to know Jesus and I want people to be saved, but I'm not feeling it. And Paul says, you don't have to live there. The Holy Spirit's been given. So I want to encourage you today. We're going to pray, but some of you, I want you to take the great big step of faith and go pray with one of our elders or pastors. Just step up out of your seat, not worrying if anybody's peeking during prayer time. And go to the four corners of this room and find a man of faith to pray for you. Some people are moving already. You don't have to wait. Anybody else today? I just need someone to pray over me. I need to experience that love of God once more. I need to feel his presence. I need to know it. Praise God. There are elders and leaders who'd love to pray for you today. We're not doing anything weird. If you're like, why are they doing this? The book of Hebrews says that the laying on of hands and prayer are elemental to the faith. It's baby stuff. It's baby stuff. We're just doing baby stuff in church. If you need somebody to pray for you today, you want to humble your heart before the Lord and ask his spirit to pour God's love into your heart, they'd love to pray for you. As they pray and you pray today, maybe some of you are praying in your seats, Lord, wake up this love in me. Wake up this relationship with me. As you're praying, AJ's just going to lead us in song. You're welcome to join us in song. We're just going to take a few minutes to spend time in the presence of the Lord today. And if God prompts your heart to go pray, you do it. Lord, would you awaken that joy this morning as we lift our eyes. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. For you alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, you led us out of death, to you alone belongs the highest praise, to you alone, to you alone belongs the highest praise you alone to you alone belongs the highest praise here's why who oh lord could save themselves who oh lord could save themselves their own soul could he 
Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You alone, for you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Can we stand and declare this together? Let's ask the Lord to reveal that joy in us as we lift up our eyes to the giver of life. We sing it and we declare it. We lift up our eyes. Oh, we lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. Yes, we lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. For we sing, we lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. One more time. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Well, my brothers and sisters, we landed on a point today, and I want to tell you what to do with it moving forward. I wanted to give opportunity for those who need a prayer today to have prayer. But we said something during our worship time this morning that was incredibly instructional. And it's actually scriptural. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in the book of Colossians, chapter 4. He tells us to sing the gospel to one another. That's what he says. He tells us to sing spiritual hymns and songs and aspects of praise to one another for the mutual encouragement of the body. Well, next week when you walk in this place, if your love has grown cold, if perhaps you're not in a place where you've been rejoicing in God... Here's the application point. Lift your voice and sing the gospel to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Lift your voice and thank Jesus for who he is and what God has done through him. Ask his presence to be part of your life. And I tell you, he inhabits the praises of his people and he shows up where he's invited. So if you find today that your love has grown cold, be ready to sing the gospel to one another. And one more point. If you're so bold, God has given you a car, a bedroom, and a shower in which to sing to no one but Him. And some of you need to take advantage of those places for the sake of those who love you and live around you. If you find that your love has grown cold, the scripture tells us that He has given us a garment of praise for our heaviness. Some of you need to put that on this week. And rejoice in God once more. So please, you don't have to wait till next week to sing gospel. You can sing it in the car ride home. So long as you're alone or you receive the blessing of those riding with you. God bless you. Have a great day. 
Sing it to the daughters. Sing it to the sons. Send a generation. Look at what the Lord has done. Sing it to the darkness. That the light has come to every generation. Look at what the Lord has done. And as I bow before you, Lord, I will rise in confidence. I will see your goodness, Lord, in the land I'm living in. And no matter where I go, and no matter where 